Hey there, and welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast, where we try to watch all the Oscar-nominated movies or die trying. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hoover was doing well out there with their death race. Myself, I made a little bit of progress, now up to seven total categories complete, uh, while only having one complete category uh, this time last week. It was a bit hard for me to actually make time to get out of the theaters. Um, you know, it was my wife's birthday this weekend. She's not such a death race as I am. So I was lucky to even get one theater visit in this week, okay? Um, that said, she hadn't seen everything everywhere all at once. And so she wanted to do that for her birthday after hearing me talk about it. Um, and so we ended up watching that and instead of instead of a new movie. And hey, I mean, I was going to... We watch it at some point and it definitely holds up plus you know she liked it so i can safely say i'm going to grow old with her and do taxes and laundry with her Anyway, before we talk about these three films I watched, I watched this week for the Death Race, uh, I have some news in Oscars world to go over, particularly with all the drama around the Two Leslie campaign. Uh, plus, also some info about where you can watch Tell Like a Woman potentially, uh, which speaking of, we have some leaderboards to check in on. First up on OscarsDeathRace.com, managed by Ford vs. Perari, uh, it looks like a screener for Tell It Like a Woman has made its way onto the internet and into the hands of some racers, so we're now at 8 folks out of 583 who have completed the Death Race. Uh, congratulations to Trans Rights of Hood Ve Pahit OK, B. Mac McMurray, Adele, Annual Survivor, The Elk, Jeff M.H. Twice, and C Chris FHD on reporting that they have completed the Death Race at 100%. Congrats, guys. Uh, myself, I'm down at number 267, so we've got a ways to go. Um, if you are utilizing a slight astronomer's tracking seats over on DeathRaceTracking.com, uh, we have 49 participants who are racing with only B. Mac and Jeff currently completed, with me at rank 33. Personally, I am at 18 out of 39 features and 0 out of 15 sorts at the moment. As far as death race news, in terms of legality of legal uh, ways to watch films at home, uh, we have some updates. Uh, Tar is now available on Peacock Premium. Uh, Babylon also has apparently come to streaming, so if you miss that in theaters, you have a, now have a legal way of watching that. Uh, Till, Woman King, and Devotion did not get a nomination, but uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever did, and all four films will be part of AMC Theaters' uh, fan favorites for Black History Month coming uh, this, this February. Uh, in addition, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever hit Disney Plus this week. And now, while Tell Like a Woman may be on the high seas at the moment, for those hoping to catch it illegally, there is some hope. Uh, you know, obviously there's that UN screening happening, uh, which I don't think is going to be open to the public, but it was just announced that the Los Angeles Italia Film Festival will be screening Tell Like a Woman the week before the Oscars, March 6th through the 11th. Now, they have done some virtual screenings on Event Hive in the past, and they haven't announced a full lineup of virtual screenings this year, so hopefully there's a chance that you can catch it then. Now, onto the last bit of Oscar news. Uh, before we hit my reviews of the films I watched the past week, obviously one of the biggest surprises nominated today was Andrea Riseborough getting nominated for Best Actress for her role in Two Leslie, particularly over Daniel Deadweiler for Till or Viola Davis for The Woman King, which had been racking up a lot of the precursor awards. The gist of the drama is that basically there was a, a quote-unquote grassroots campaign by her manager, Jason Weinberg, and the film's director, Michael Morris, and his wife, uh, actress Mary McCormack, uh, and they may or may not have crossed some lines in terms terms of the rules surrounding how a campaign can be run. One of the biggest faux pas seems to be that they that they uh, mess in, uh, that they inadvertently mentioned other potential nominees by name. Uh, in particular, the two Leslie movie Instagram accounts quoted a film review that mentioned Kate Blanchett and Tar uh, in context of Two Leslie, and then the actress Frances Fisher, who had been campaigning uh, on her social media for Two Leslie, had specifically mentioned that the other nominees, uh, particularly Daniel Deadweiler and Davis, but also Tar uh, Blanchett and uh, Everything Everywhere was Michelle Yeoh were locks for nominations and so people should vote for Riseboro. Uh, obviously, that was not the case. Uh, these posts have both since been deleted. 
Uh, the other faux pas seems to be around emails that the campaigning team sent out. Uh, normally, you know, you're only allowed to uh, email uh, members of whatever branch uh, you're emailing uh, once every seven in the in, in the seven in a seven day period about the film. Um, and uh, so, first off, uh, it it looks like they kind of bypass those numbers, uh, kind of spamming messages. Uh, secondly, they bypass the official academy emailing service used for these sort of email blasts with various actors stating that they received multiple personal emails from the team asking them to watch the film and vote for Riseborough. Um, the other issue with these emails is that they invited actors to attend an intimate reception at the home of Morris and McCormack for a discussion with actresses Riseborough and Janie Allison after they had seen the film, uh, which would be in a violation of a role the Academy has about hosting receptions and parties um, that don't have a screening of the film taking place at the same location. This was set up in 2016 to kind of prevent the old-school partying and dinners uh, and lunches to essentially bribe voters for nominations. Now, of course, uh, there is much discussion about this in the trades about it. Uh, and, you know, why are people suddenly caring so much about the rules for the Academy and their campaigning, uh, which, frankly, people don't generally care about the Oscars in general, um, you know, beyond a, a bunch of fucking nerds who try to watch every movie like I am. Um, you know, and, you know, frankly, I think the, the, the fact that people are caring so much isn't truly really altruistic of just good journalism and whatnot, right? I'm making sure everything's a quote-unquote fair, right? Uh, for one, Whoopi Goldberg, who sits on the Academy's Board of Governors, uh, representing the acting grants um, has has basically stated yes he's, he's not that happy that Till got snubbed uh, because he happens to be a producer on the film Till um, add in that you know United Artists for Till and Woman King for Sony spent lots of money on their campaigns which presumably an end goal is to get more prestige for a film with the nominations to then get more box office or VOD rental dollars as a result um, the fact that they spent on these campaigns to ultimately get snubbed for a film um, that was basically a, 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 an easy email marketing campaign, um, and you kind of see how the powers that be at those studios would not be happy and have some very angry phone calls to the uh, Board of Governors of the Academy to see if something could be done to deter this sort of thing, if not this year, at least in the future. On top of that, of course, you see a lot of articles in the trades, you know, Variety, the Hollywood Reporter, and so on, because, you know, frankly, uh, they have an interest as well in making sure that this little studio for your consideration campaigns work. You know, a large part of their, you know, staying power is getting, you know, exclusive interviews for these for these campaigns. Um, and also, they have a lot of parts of their ad revenue coming from, you know, uh, takeovers of their sites, you know, for your consideration, such and so film, uh, which as somebody who reads the trades multiple times a week for my box office podcast, as well as this one, um, I definitely see a lot of those. Um, you know, if there was an end to the effective way to get a campaign being not through these expensive for your consideration campaigns, but through, you know, these email, you know, direct, direct, direct cam uh, email campaigns, that would definitely hurt the trades, of course. So they're going to definitely keep on the story about this and put pressure to, you know, definitely uh, prevent this sort of thing from happening in the future by saving and naming and saving. So the end result of all this was that uh, this past Tuesday, the Board of Governors had a meeting. Uh, they did do an investigation, and quote unquote, they determined that the act level, the activity in question, does not rise to the level that the film's nominations should be rescinded. However, we did discover social media and outreach campaigning tactics that caused concern. These tactics are being addressed with the responsible parties directly. They also noted that regulations, as phrased, would definitely leave some uncertainty as to how they can be interpreted, and so they will clarify these in for future campaigns after this award cycle. So, long story short, Andrea. 
Risborough gets to keep her nomination. She avoids being uh, uh, very sort, joining the sort list of people who have had uh, their nomination revoked for this kind of thing in the past. I guess what, what this is going to come down to is that, you know, McCormack and Morris uh, will be hit with some sort of penalty from the Academy, be it uh, a fine or suspension, maybe for like a year. Uh, perhaps Francis Fisher also, uh, depending on how deep she was in the campaign, could get some, some consequences as well. Um, and of course, they're going to clarify the rules uh, in the offseason to basically make it harder for this sort of, you know, direct emailing campaign, at least, at the very least, uh, surpassing the middleman, I think, situation in place uh, to, you know, and, and, and social media posts probably referencing, um, you know, reviews and such not to, to be a little bit more strict. So at the end of the day, you know, how much does this really matter? I mean, again, Many people say the Oscars don't really matter. Uh, frankly, both sides, you can argue that, you know, the, the two parties on both sides are not that easiest to sympathize with, right? On one hand, you have the big corporations and studios mad that their film isn't going to make as much money as they thought it would. They would have a little bit of loss, and they use their power to bully and influence a grassroots campaign out of the contention in order to keep the status quo of biggest spender gets the most nominations, uh, you know, especially if, you know, there's definitely a case where these big studios probably have broken some sort of rule at the point, but was just kind of like, you know, ignored more or less. Now, that said, the other hand, this quote-unquote grassroots campaign trying to get you to feel sorry for them, that they said students are coming for them and, and, and you know, and, 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 and taking, and, you know, uh, and, um, you know, stamp, stamping on, uh, you know, on, 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 on the voters' choice, right? Um, frankly, they come from one of the most privileged sectors of society. I mean, sir, it's a relatively small film with a big heart in the grand scheme of things. But if you're able to directly email Kate Winslet uh, and ask her favor to watch this film and give you a shout out on social media, that doesn't really feel, feel like you're an underdog, really. Particularly when, you know, other POC films get snubbed as a result, right? And of course, you know, you start to, you, McCormack and, and Moore obviously stand to gain financial financially uh, when people like me start renting your film to watch it in the death place when we wouldn't have otherwise. I mean, I'd be, frankly, a little bit more worried about the implications down the line for, you know, if they do kind of like revisit those rules um, that in revising them that made truly, her truly independent films. I mean, sorry to Leslie, didn't really have a big studio behind it or whatnot, right? But a really independent grassroots film that just don't have the same institutional connections that many, for example, POC filmmakers don't have access to as opposed to, you know, white Hollywood um, does with the with their social network, I mean, yeah, that's this is definitely, I think, like, uh, you know, I've been great, great, good, good, great for Andrew Weisbro. She still gets to have her name in the Oscar canon as being nominated, but uh, we'll just have to see the larger impact of this down the road. Of course, what really matters is that uh, I don't need to make a decision about whether or not I need to uh, rescind the nomination means the film is also moved to the death race or not. Too Le Leslie is still on the menu, and hey, why not? If you have the t if you have the time, why not go see Woman King and Till as well? Now, you know, uh, I won't be watching To Leslie for another week or so. Um, in the meantime, let's talk about the films I did watch this week. Um, I figured, you know, I'd try to be quote-unquote efficient and go after films that had multiple nominations I hadn't seen yet. Uh, the only ones with more than two nominations I hadn't seen yet were All Quiet on the Western Front with nine nominations and Black Panther Wakanda Forever with five total. Uh, in addition, Black Panther, it was going to be in theaters not that much longer, aside from, of course, the fan favorites I just mentioned earlier. Um, so, you know, and, and, and Edmund and the Wasp is coming out next month. 
and, and Black Panther is also going to be on Disney Plus, which you know, as of the recording, uh, which you know, uh, I I I have on sub for Disney Plus last December, so it actually ends up being cheaper for me to try to see it in theaters uh, with AMC A list than trying to you know resubscribe to uh, to Disney Plus again. Um, and then also just so I'm not totally behind, you know, I also watched Triangle of Sadness. I think it's one step closer to wrapping up all the Best Picture nominees, and also to knock out the Oscar, the, the Best Director and the, and Original Screenplay nominations. Uh, to that end, I started with Black Panther uh, this past Saturday afternoon. Uh, surprisingly, even though you know it's been out for a while and will be on Disney and is already on Disney Plus, uh, the theater I was in was actually kind of full, at least that I could see from my seat. In any case, you know, on a high level, I mean, it's an MCU film, right? Uh, it's particularly one post Endgame, which is to say, it's well made, it's entertaining popcorn flick, but at the risk of angling fanboys, it's not the peak of cinema. Um, obviously, there's the comparison to the first Black Panther film, which received the Best Picture nomination, and this one did not. And yeah, I kind of agree with that with that one it's definitely a step down from the first uh, beyond just the social impact of the first one really having a successful black superhero on the big screen for the first time this one kind of not having that um, black panther had for a marvel film you know a decent story, right? It threaded the line between the personal story of T'Challa dealing with the power of the throne and his father's legacy, hidden legacy, and then Wakanda's also placed in the world, be it isolationist or so they break out. Um, and it's also the broader, you know, typical hero stuff, saving the world from some uh, existential threat, in this case, Killmonger, um, who brings also a level of social commentary uh, regarding the treatment of black people in the world. Now, as far as whether that's brought to a satisfying conclusion, because, you know, Killmonger's kind of right, um, or, you know, if it just makes maintains the status quo, as is in the case with most Marvel films, hammering down the people who truly want to make change in the world, that's a whole different discussion. Still, on a technical level, the first the first film certainly did well, uh, except probably the CG. I don't think it, 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 I don't think it was that great CG, but hey. Um, in any case, the second film, uh, story-wise, is frankly inferior to the first in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, they're trying to do a lot of things, right? First off, you know, trying to, you know, pay tribute to Chadwick Boseman, the impact he had, but that it never really feels it digs into that in a meaningful way. I mean, a lot of it is basically, frankly, Shuri being that she doesn't really believe in old, you know, traditions and prefers to stick to technology, right? Um, which, you know, as somebody who's aware that Letizia Wright caused a whole bunch of drama on production by uh, essentially being anti-vax and holding up production when she got an injury, kind of rubs me the wrong way in a medicine, especially when she's the scientist trying to write a cure for a mysterious disease that T'Challa has when he dies from off-screen. I mean, really? Um, anyway, that all aside, it then pivots away from the grief, which, you know, is kind of touched on but not really delved into, uh, to a bit of international, you know, political intrigue, right? What is Wakanda's place in the world now that he, they've exposed themselves but they no longer have their superhero protector? Um, the West wants to vibrate from themselves. There's a very ham-fisted portrayal of American imperialism and, uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus's character, um, who's going to be kind of like a recurring bad guy or or antagonist, I guess, throughout the film, uh, throughout the MCU, um, and then you know that's that's that that whole idea of the political intrigue was kind of half baked. You have this whole you know uh, Ironheart uh, kind of subplot was kind of thrown in there, to kind of tee up the TV series coming along the line, and then the idea, another half baked idea to the mix. You have the Inhumans and Namor uh, trying to do what Killmonger did with the you know they kind of have a point villain act commenting on Western imperialism. As 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 a as a and how they've impacted the world negatively, um, which the film also kind of resolves in an unsatisfactory, hand wavy, let's maintain the status quo kind of way. Oh, and then about two thirds of the way into the film, uh, through this again nearly three hour movie, we add yet another half baked idea with the whole revenge plot that Suri has to uh, spoiler avenge the death of her mother against Namor, um, and you know does she wrestles with that and you know this 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 
wanting revenge, you know, basically um, was wanting revenge, you know, poison you and make you like a good leader and all that, and her needing to become a leader and all that. I mean, yeah, it was a lot. Uh, and the fact that, you know, that this revenge plot wasn't even, in my mind, fully satisfactorily, you know, it was basically like, you know, she gets this flashback. She's like, do you want to be, you want to get revenge? And then like she flashbacks and she realizes, oh, no, I can't be revenge because I'd be a, I'd be a bad person and not the hero of the MCU anymore. Uh, basically, resolution is not that great. Um but of course, they can't do it in the way that kills Namor because, again, Siri can't kill people. And then, of course, uh, Namor uh, is going to feature in future MCU films as well. Uh, yeah, overall, that film was trying to do a lot, managed to do very little, very well, and had the bloated runtime that t- t- that was not justified and did not work for me as a story. Now, on the bright side of things, I will say definitely at least two of the five nominations received. Um, as usual, Ruth Carter was on point with the costume design. Uh, in particular, this year, she, instead of, in addition to what she did in the previous film uh, with you know the Wakandan uh, with the Wakandan costumes, um, she added in the the Namor the Nam- Namor's people's costume, um, which I think was was really well done. Um, hair and makeup similarly was also very well done. Again, a focus on the Inhumans, but of course the Wakandans as well. Um, I'm not sure how they got the blue skin if that was CG or makeup. Uh, if it was the former i'm actually also very impressed with that um it, it though that said it is and it, it would be deserving in that regard that said otherwise not it didn't really stand up um you know if the underwater world was done via cg um maybe a mix of cg and practical i mean it felt kind of meh i mean i get it's supposed to be a deep underwater world that you know sonar and whatnot can't can't find i mean if the cap but if it's supposed to be like some marvel um it just felt too dimly lit frankly for me to like really be breathtaking for me. Uh, frankly, I f- would have probably preferred that Doctor Strange and, and or Over Black Panther get nominated this year for visual effects. Um, as far as other nominations, I mean, Lift Me Up, the song was whatever. I'm not the best person when it comes to identifying motifs uh, throughout a score, but apparently that was a motif throughout the score. Um, and then Angela Bassett for supporting actress. I mean, I'm not mad at the nomination. In a way, she was, in my mind, frankly, a better main character. I would have loved the film that kind of focused more around the Angela Bassett uh, international intrigue situation, uh, more so than Suri, and, and he was the main character more than Suri in the first act. Um, but, you know, spoilers, after she dies halfway through, it's hard to say she's the main character, so um, she's clearly a legendary actress, I think played a little bit into her nomination, but she does have some juicy bits in the film, uh, which I think are frankly mostly shown in the trailer, more or less, um, but she does let her presence be felt. I would personally prefer it if, hey, Stephanie Sue or Carrie Condon won the category, but, you know, Bassett isn't fully undeserving of the win if she gets it, just not my pick. Notably, though, she is the first MCU actress to get a nomination for their role in the MCU, so props to her. Uh, all set together, I probably gave I gave Black Panther uh, two uh, uh, Wakanda Forever two out of five on Letterboxd, um, which is I think on the lower end of the MCU for me. Uh, I actually haven't gone back and ranked all of the MCU films. Um, I probably should go back and do that at some point. Uh, anyway, next up on Tuesday, I watched All Quiet on the Western Front. Now, I hadn't seen the original that won Best Picture, so can't really compare this to that. Generally, though, I knew this was the German adaptation of that original novel that was more or less an anti-war story through its portrayal of the gruesome reality of trench warfare and the impact on the soldiers. I think my big thing with this film is that it ended up being unnecessarily long at two and a half hours to give a more like more or less fully grasped in the first 20 minutes. I mean, okay, sir, the true, like truly brutal war films like Saving Private Ryan and such, um, that's so the other inhumanity of warfare haven't been as common lately. So maybe we were due for a film like this um, for a new generation. And maybe the point of the film is to quote unquote indulge, you know, probably not the right word for that, but to really go deep into the graphic violence to drive the message home and not half-ass that, oh, war is bad just by telling you by by showing you 
I couldn't come at it at a level of pretending I needed to really be convinced that war is kind of silly. Uh, in addition uh, to, to Best Picture, uh, this one did pick up an adapted screenplay nomination. And again, I'm not that impressed. Um, you know, I, it's kind of like having read the bit of the a summary on the original film and of course the novel, the whole story about the armist armistice agreement was original to the film, but they didn't really add anything to me. And they added a little bit more added a little bit more to the cat character, which I think was interesting, but they also took away from the parts where they return back home and they kind of see themselves as like a stranger in their own world, in their own home. Um which I think honestly those make for the more interesting war stories i think more so than the the gruesome reality of of a life on the on the battlefield especially i think in the modern era where you know yes we do have you know terrible things happening in war around the world um but really the impact of war is in the veterans who come back home they're kind of like sick and and and, and ptsd and all that so um you know i mean you know it didn't the the, the this novel this adaptation didn't really do anything novel to my knowledge with the or revolutionary with the story structure i mean little woman a few years ago for example you know they, they did a whole parallel timeline structure for the film which i thought was really well done and then this year pinocchio recontextualize the original story in a brand new and unique way to present new ideas not explored by no Pinocchio. I mean, heck, even White Noise, which is apparently adapting an unadaptable novel, I mean, to do that is is would probably be more deserving here. Which this one has been so like, hey, yeah, this story can and has been adapted. It's been not adapted to a Best Picture nomination before. So it just kind of tread the same ground over again. Now, to what I did like to give it to credit on the technical side, um, you know, score in particular felt pretty anachronistic, but I think that's in a good way. The dissonant, heavy bass rumbles really gave a sense of dread to the film. Um, and I'm not a really good person to judge if a score is good or not, but I will say it stuck out to me and was noticed and something different than you would expect from a normal score. So not mad at that. Still with the preferred Pinocchio score getting in, though. Um, sound, of course, was always going to be a strong point in the war film, as is production design and visual effects. Uh, cinematography had flashes of brilliance, you know, some interesting composition and interesting shots. But I think compared to other World War One films from recent years, particularly 1917, can't really hold a candle to the work there. Frankly, I think I was most impressed, frankly, by the um, makeup and hair category. Um, just the effect of caking the mud and dirt and grime and blood on these soldiers, just to visually believe that they were going through this shit. Um, heck, if the if the whale wasn't in contention this year, I would probably say this one would probably be my pick to win uh, Best Hair and Makeup. And as far as international film goes, I mean, the winner should be Decision to Leave, but it didn't get nominated, which is still I'm not going to get over this year. Um, so this kind of is, my, by default, would be my pick until I see the others. Overall, I think this film is, of course, a technical marvel that went a little bit too long and had a kind of lackluster screenplay. Um, sadly, while each, I think, you know, while each individual part of the film was well done and stood out. I can't really say that they gelled together um, and really transcended, except for maybe makeup, you know, a job well done, right? It, the jobs were well done. I don't think it was re truly best in class. And I don't think they really worked together in a way to really sell the story in a way that was new and different, right? I mean, like, again, war's terrible, right? I didn't kind of see that, but it didn't really do it in a way that we hadn't seen before. Overall, I give this film three out of five, mostly on the technical prowess. I am really curious to see the 1930 version now, though I will probably actually, after this season, go back and do it as part of my best picture marathon. 
Uh, the last new film this week was Wednesday night when I went to Triangle of Sadness. I'm going to be straight up, this just was not my cup of tea. Uh, maybe it's the European style of humor that does, doesn't that jive with my American sensibilities. Maybe I was watching it at home on a couch as opposed to like in a crowded theater, particularly to get a full reaction from that second act. Or maybe it was just because at first glance, you know, the quote-unquote satire and social commentary was just a little bit on the nose, a little bit too ham-fisted for me. Or, you know, maybe it was just a combination of all of the above, and that's just why this film didn't really work for me. I mean, the first focus on the positives. You know, as everyone says, the first Filipina ever, Dolly De Leon, really brings the film together, particularly in the last third of the film. I obviously hadn't seen this film before nomination, so I couldn't comment on whether she deserved it or not. And I still haven't seen The Whale, so I can't say how Hong Chao fits into all this, but I will say I understand why she was in the conversation. She really is the thing that brings the film together. Frankly, I would have liked her in maybe over Bassett, frankly, um, as I think she adds a lot more to this film than Bassett did to Black Panther. Um, though, arguably, I would say uh, in that context, both of these, both of them, probably I would have had Janelle Monet over here. Um, though, in a sense, Dolly De Leon and Monet's films were kind of similar in that they both have a third act transformation um, as a supporting character. Now, as far as the director nomination, I frankly am pretty disappointed about the Austin nomination here. I mean, I haven't seen any of his other works, but I know he's a well-respected director, especially among Europeans. But this has lacked, for me, like a true vision or unique and interesting perspective or directing technique. Um, the most inspired choice was making the cameras basically rock around during the captain's dinner to inspire seasickness. I mean, you know... Otherwise, if you were if you if you weren't gonna go for a woman director, I mean James Cameron or Park Chan Wook were right there, right? Um, and then you know initially I had you know Triangle of Sadness as a two out of five for all the reasons I gave above, uh, particularly you know with the uh, with the screenplay kind of like falling below my expectations. I mean, sir, the seasick and the captain's under portion in the middle with Woody Harrelson was highly amusing in a very gross way, and then the Lord of the Flies power dynamic reversal in the last act was fun to watch Dolly ascend her throne. But again, the commentary felt really hamfisted, and for this sort of film, for the screenplay, the commentary and 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 such really is paramount to making this work. I mean, the rich weapons manufacturers die to a grenade. The socialist American and capitalist Russian have a quote-unquote discussion that revolves around throwing one-liners at each other. They look up off Google. The white yacht yacht staff, yacht staff um, get excited over tips while the Filipino staff are all whatever. And then the rich get food poisoning because they force the kids in to take a swim in a supposed act of benevolence. Um, I mean, you know, I did slightly come around on the screenplay after reading some Reddit comments discussing the film and drawing lines between pre-yacht conversations between Yaya and Carl about gender roles and feminism and such and, you know, latter parts of the film and, and symbolism and all that. But I also think at the end of the day, I mean, the narrative, the, the actual plot that proceeds along and the characters, um, Dolly the on the side were pretty weak and frankly caricatures of themselves. I can't really give it much more than a three out of five in that regard. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, those are all the films I watched this week. You know, as a bonus, like I mentioned, I did watch Everything Everywhere on Monday for my wife's birthday. In addition to her liking it, I'm glad I did just because I was really able to focus in and appreciate more about the film the second time around. I mean, for example, there's a lot of references to bagels earlier in the film than I remember, but even just thematically, right? Like lessons about learning to appreciate your loved ones for who they are versus, you know, who they could be, or as well as loving yourself, even if you don't feel like you're living up to your full potential. And also the rejection of the alpha male toxic masculinity role and in favor of the more kinder beta you know mentality that Waymon demonstrates to just always be kind I mean it was kind of gratifying frankly to hear my wife say oh yeah you're definitely like Waymond after the film I mean that's kind of all I can really ask uh, to be in life 
Uh, anyway, uh, let's talk about my Death Race plans for this week. Uh, my plan is to try to finish the Best Picture nominees and watch Walking, w- w- uh, Woman Talking in the theaters this weekend. Um, while I'm at it, I might as well also try to do the actress categories um, since we talked about uh, Two Leslie and, and also uh, Dolly De Leon. Um, and so, you know, we're going to watch Two Leslie this weekend uh, and then uh, and then also uh, and, and their Armas in Blonde. The latter is nearly a three-hour film, so that's about six and a half hours of films I need to watch uh, on top of a newly releasing Magic the Gathering set coming up. And and some family visiting from out of town. Um, the week after, you know, I'll probably try to go for the guy actor, actors with The Whale and Living in theaters, um, as well as Afterson and Causeway on Digital at Home. So those four films, which is about, uh, you know, as long as the three for this coming week. And who knows, if I can swing it, I'll try to make a trip to the Lincoln Center for EO or IFC Center for all the Beauty and Bloodshed, assuming they're still playing by then. Uh, EO looks like it'll be going for a little while longer, but uh, all the beauty may be at risk given that it's getting the awkward inconvenience so times of like 1045. But yeah, uh, anyway, that wraps up this episode of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Uh, you can let me know how your Death Race is going over on Twitter at OscarsDRacecast or via email at OscarsDeathRacePodcast at gmail.com. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the show on your podcast service of choice, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And you can leave us a review there or even just share it with a friend who loves movies. Any of that's super helpful. Those will be linked in the show notes below, alongside my Leatherbox account under the username NinsBoryBoryWithanI. Uh, also, be sure to wa- wa- check out the Oscar Race and Oscars Death Race subreddits and the Academy of Death Racers Discord, as well as OscarsDeathRace.com and DeathRaceTracking.com. Uh, music is provided by Kevin MacLeod. His service is the incompetent for music the I.O. And accessed by NinsBoy Media. That's it for this week. This has been Paul of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Until next time, I'll be here trying to watch Oscar- all the Oscar nominees or die trying. Mm-hmm.